0: Welcome to Somebody You Love, or The Sale of Two Titties. I'm Jenna Love. And I'm Holly Hart. And we're experts in disappointing our parents, breaching community guidelines, and banging the people who vote against our rights. Hi, everyone. Before we start the show today, we just wanted to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording today – So I'm on Darug and Gundangara land and Holly is on the land of the Ngunnawal people.
1: We also want to make it clear up front that we can only speak from our own experiences. The sex working community is wonderfully diverse and as white cis women we have a lot of privileges within the industry. We can't speak on behalf of our peers who find themselves facing far more stigma and discrimination than we do. Today we will be discussing adult topics so this podcast may not be
0: suitable for those under the age of 18. Today, we are going to discuss some blurring of lines between client and acquaintance in both directions. Sometimes as sex workers, we do get booking requests from people that we know IRL in real life who want to become our clients. And sometimes people who start out as clients actually go on to become acquaintances or even friends. Of course, sometimes a client can go on to become a lover or a romantic partner, but that is a whole episode of its own and we will not be touching on that today. So, Holly, how do you feel about people that you know in real life getting in contact with your work persona? Uh,
1: You know I hate it. I hate (laughs) it. I don't mind people in real life, knowing that I exist as a hooker, that's fine. But I just really don't like people getting in touch. I find it so awkward and it just freaks me out.
0: How about you? Well, I have to preface this by saying that I know I'm in the minority here, but I love it. I'm really into it. And I mean, the main reason for me is that I don't have to do any screening and I already know who's going to be behind the door. Like it really just, I don't know, every single time you meet a new client, there's a level of anxiety. And part of that is this, the safety concern and the screening, and they're just not knowing who they are. And the other part of it is the, will we have stuff to talk about? Are we going to get on well? And I, I already know all of that. So it completely takes away all of the anxiety that I feel when meeting a new client. So I actually really like that. But whenever I if I, whenever I say that to people, I'm always really clear to preface it by saying that is not the industry standard. So don't take me saying that as going, oh, well, Jenna loves it. So I'm going to contact this chick that lives on my street. Actually, people that live very close is, is not cool. That's actually <laughs> a whole different story. There are stories of sex workers who have had people who live in their building text them and say... Oh, I saw you just live upstairs from me. Can we arrange like a regular quickie thing? That's not cool, mm. but uh, but yeah, I really like it when people I know book me. I think it's really handy. <laughs> I think that's so cool
1: and I I sort of wish, like I envy that. I was trying to work out what it is that makes me so uncomfortable and this is not going to make any sense but this is sort Mm. of where I think it comes from. I make myself so vulnerable to my clients and I really give them so much of me and to do that with people I know in real life for some reason is so confronting. I'm like, I don't know, which is weird because you think that people in real life you'd sort of be more willing to open up Mm. to but I'm like... No, that freaks me out for some reason. So that is
0: really interesting. And I think it makes a lot of sense. I also think there is a bit of a line. Like, if one of my best mates booked me, well, they never like that would be fucking weird because we'd be like, oh, hey, like that would be so. But it, so it's that's why I use the term acquaintances because from my experience, my really close friends aren't going to make a booking with me because they, we're really close and that's weird. Yeah. But it, it does tend to be people that you don't know that intimately. So I think that's a really valid point because you, yeah, you, you don't get to that level with them, and that's something that I love about it because I get to see someone that I've kind of had as an acquaintance that I've seen around. I get to see them naked. I get to see them vulnerable. (laughs) I get to see what they're like when they have an orgasm. And I think that's so cool because we don't normally get to see that of people. That's one of the things I love about my job is that I see so many people in that state and so many people in the world don't get to see people like that.
1: So speaking from my own experience, something that freaked me out a little bit was a few years ago, I got a message from a guy asking for a booking. And I sort of began my screening procedures with him. And about halfway through those, I realized that he was my gardener. And once a month he comes over and he does the most beautiful gardening for me. And he is, look, he's not a bad looking young man. He is super kind. He does a beautiful job. But yeah, anyway, so I realized it was him. And I don't know, at that point, I was not face out. I did not have any sort of, I don't think it was too identifiable that it was me, but maybe he knew it was me. I don't know. And so I got really awkward about it and I just blocked his number and I don't know what he thinks, but he's still been my gardener for the last what three years since that. And he comes over and he sees me at my worst. He sees me with my hair all matted and in my trackies and smelly. And I'm like, just, you know, cut this and cut this and whatever. And I go back to bed and um, (laughs) I just don't want him to then like see me trying to be all sexy. It just feels weird. So I mean, look, when he's not my gardener anymore, maybe I'd be happy to see him. But right now it's just weird.
0: So especially given you have gone more face out since then, yeah. do you think yeah. he has any idea it's you?
1: Well, I don't know whether, like, he, he followed it up. Like, if he's still looking at sex workers, then, he, yeah, for sure he'd know it's me. I think he did. Like, I'm sure he knows because, like, he, you know, we sort of make conversation and I'm like, does he know? Anyway. I'm not really fussed either way, but definitely I was not happy to uh, to blur that line between the bogan, uh, scruffy girl who you cut her lawn and the sexy woman that you come and, you know, get it on with. I just I couldn't deal with it at the time.
0: <laughs> so I had a bit of an interesting experience when I went face out, and by saying face out we mean that we show our faces in our advertising, which is a really huge thing for sex workers and I think we have a whole podcast topic on that. But uh, I actually started out in the industry face in, no face out. Yeah. Oh God. I get confused by that term, (laughs) but I started showing it like at the very beginning. And then all these people told me I shouldn't anyway. Then eventually I was like, uh, no, this is what I want to do. And I'm not going to listen to other people. So when I went face out again, I suddenly had an influx of inquiries and contact from people that I knew. And because they started contacting me like straight after I went face out, I kind of thought, they must've been following me before, which makes me go, I feel like they they either assumed it was me or had an idea it was me or knew for sure that it was me, but it wasn't until I showed my face that they either went, yes, it is definitely her or they went, okay, I already knew it was her, but now I know that she's comfortable with me knowing it's her. Like, I think some people may have taken that as a sign. And I think the whole concept of having acquaintances get in contact with your work persona does vary a lot on whether you show your face in your advertising how out you are as a sex worker etc like i'm very 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 out my face is all over the internet At times, it has a penis in it. Every single time a person asks me, "What what job I do?" I say I'm a sex worker. So I think for a lot of these people, they saw that and they went, "Jenna's obviously really fine with me knowing about that." Um, She's already taken all the consequences that come with being out as a sex worker, and I think that's something really important to keep in mind. If you think that you know somebody who is a sex worker and they don't show their face in their advertising, there's a reason for that, and that's it's really important to respect that. But I think for me, me putting my face out there might've made these people go, Oh, she's actually really cool with this. Not that sex workers who don't show their face aren't cool with it, but, probably don't want to be contacted by people that they know. So anyway, yeah, I got a number of inquiries, a couple of people that sort of didn't go through with it, a couple of people that did. Um and I was booked by a friend of mine that I had gone to uni with and it was years earlier and he was in a different year to me. So we didn't we knew each other, but it was definitely an acquaintance situation and I was really excited. I was like brilliant, get to see the dude naked, get to bang him. Um and we had a really lovely time together he didn't come back. And so I don't know whether that means he just ticked that off or, I mean, who knows? We never know what happens when a client doesn't return, but I believe that we both had a nice time and it was cool. Oh, that's really nice. Good vibes all around then. Yeah. Yeah.
1: A sort of cool story that I have is I was contacted a few years ago by a guy who was friends with someone I knew. Mm, that's probably about (laughs) as much information as I can give. He contacted me straight up and he said, Hey, Holly, it's XYZ. I don't know if this is weird, but just wondering if I might be able to see you for a booking, you know, let me know. And I just really appreciated that because sometimes I've found people who know me who get in touch sort of pretend they don't know me and, and it just sort of gets to a whole awkward thing when we get to screening and I go, well, this is weird, buddy. So I really liked it and I said to him, no, like, I really appreciate you being honest with me and that's really cool of you. But unfortunately, it's it's just a little bit weird and, you know, recommended him a few other people who I thought were really nice. So I think if you are going to go about contacting someone who you think may be a sex worker, um, it's better to be honest, upfront and um, definitely, you know, respect the fact that they they possibly will say no and maybe likely will say no.
0: Yeah, I should say every single person that has contacted me in that way has said, hi, I don't know if this is inappropriate. It's absolutely fine if you don't want to respond. I'll forget I ever saw anything. Um, but if you are comfortable, I'd like to do this, but it's it's reasonable if you're not comfortable. And I think that's a really important thing to make. But I mean, just sending that message alone could make that person super uncomfortable. Um, I know we're both okay with, with that level, certainly. Um, and I'm obviously okay with more, but I think that that's, um, a lot of people getting that message alone would really send them into a tailspin. And, you know, there are people who, whose lives can literally be put in danger and whose lives can be ruined by being outed as a sex worker. So that it's something that's, you can't take lightly. Yeah. I have a a fun little story. I had a client contact me a few years ago, Um, and he was a little bit cagey when it came to the screening process and his reasoning was, oh, I've I've just got to be careful because, um, I'm reasonably well known. And I was like, oh, all right, buddy cool, whatever. And I thought, you know, a lot of sex workers have that experience with potential clients. And it always comes down to look, mate, like your privacy is not more important than our safety. Anyway, he was nice enough, but he had just mentioned that. And I was like, yeah, rightio. He turned up We had the booking together and he was really lovely, had a really, really great time. And then just uh, as you do over the course of of a booking, you often might make small chat. And I asked him what he did. I usually try to be vague so that they don't feel like I'm stalking them. Like I'll say, oh, do you mind saying what you do or what area you work in or whatever? Anyway, he said, I'm I'm a real estate agent. And I was like, oh, okay, that doesn't make you famous. (laughs) Like I thought that was really odd. And I was like, wow, dude thinks, like, being a real estate agent is, like, a big deal and and everyone knows him.
1: Having seen actual famous clients, you know, you sort of go, like...
0: You know, I was like, oh,
1: like, okay. It's, it's definitely not up there in terms of fame.
0: Yeah. And he did say something like, I'm a real estate agent. So that's why I'm, you know, sort of my face is known. And I was yeah. like, yeah, I mean, I literally have shown my butthole on the internet, but okay, cool.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Him too, you know? Yeah. Who knows? Well, maybe.
0: <laughs> I don't know that much about being a real estate agent. Anyway, we had a lovely booking. And then fast forward a few years, my husband and I decided that we would like to buy a house. So we, uh, we go to open houses. And this was during COVID in 2020. And we weren't going to look at too many houses. We just, you know, we mainly looked online and then anything that really stood out to us, we went and looked at. So anything we did go to look at, we really wanted to see. And so we go to the first house and out the front is my client. And uh, it took me a second because it was a few years ago and I'm sort of – we're in line because of COVID. There was a line to get in and I'm sort of whispering to my husband going, oh, I think I've slept with that person. <laughs> oh, no. And he's going, oh, really, like a client? I'm like, I think so. I'm not, oh, I'm not really sure. And the whole way down the line we're getting closer and I'm like, I think so. Oh, I can't tell. Yeah, he was a real estate agent. Oh, maybe. And then we get up to the front of the line and, and they have this thing when you're going to open homes particularly for purchasing houses where they ask for your details your name and number i know now that they only do that for a marketing tactic because then they follow you up and say oh you didn't like that one well we've got this one and they just harass you endlessly because real estate agents sorry i'm just uh ostracizing any potential real estate agent uh, (laughs) listeners that we have (laughs) but um well i didn't realize that you you didn't you don't have to do that. Like that's not a legal requirement because COVID was around. I kind of just thought it was something that I had to do. And so we got up to the front of the line and he's like, what's your name? And I sort of nudged my husband to give his name Uh, So he gave his name, which I thought, oh, we've got the same bloody surname anyway, and gave his number. Oh, no. (laughs) And then the guy turned to me, and he had done a bit of a double take, so I think he recognised, but I think he was in the same position as me, being like, I'm not sure, I think so. And then he was like, No way. You're
1: recognisable. There's no way
0: people would recognise you. I don't look great when I go for house inspections. It's a bit like the thing with your gardener. (laughs) The gardener. True. Okay. Fair, fair. But still, uh, anyway, he said, oh, and and yours. And um, I I was like, if I had been prepared for this situation, I probably would have been like, "Um, it's Jenna, remember how you screamed it out when I was riding you? You know, but (laughs) – but I just like was so shocked and and I'm a real like rule follower. So I, I just like spurted out my real name and I, you know, then we went into the house and I was like, great. I just completely outed myself and I have no fear of, of this guy. Obviously he's concerned about discretion as well. But then for like months later, my poor husband was getting messages being like, hi, it's blah, blah. Did you guys like the house? Do you want to look at another house? And I was just like, go away. And I, sh- I mean, yeah, it's, that's not, he was just doing his job and he maintained complete, he was completely professional at all times. He didn't do anything with that information. Like he did all the right things in that situation, but it was just a bit amusing for me. And I was like, oh, maybe real estate agents are kind of famous. And it made me, yeah, I had a different perspective on that afterwards.
1: Okay. So we're getting now onto some of my juicier and more awkward stories. Um, A few years ago, probably about three years ago now, I also had a little pet sitting business that I did on the side. So I would Go to people's houses and take care of their pets. I was contacted by a gentleman for a sex work booking. Um, we began the screening process, and somewhere in the middle of that, this is still when I was face in. Once again, I thought I was relatively anonymous, but I, I don't know. But I was contacted by this guy who I realised was one of my pet sitting clients. So I was looking after his and his partner's pets and, yeah, I I realised and it was a bit awkward, but I thought he was really cute. (laughs) So I told him, I said, hey, like, this is really awkward, but I'm actually your pet sitter. (laughs) And he was surprised, I, I think like i know you're listening right now buddy so i think he was genuinely surprised we actually became really good friends there was a little bit of like a thing going on but he was the relationship he was in was was not a good one and you know it didn't last much longer and things with us never never developed into anything but we ended up becoming really really good friends we did have sex once and yeah now we're still in touch we talk all the time and it was just the weirdest scenario how I realised halfway through that he actually knew me in real life. So he didn't become a client, but he became someone really special and still a really dear friend to me um, out of a series of just really strange, you know, Canberra being a small place sort of situations. And
0: so when you said you had sex once, that was not a booking situation? That was in your personal life? No,
1: no, we just, yeah, yeah, that was a a personal life, you know, intimate sort of moment. We uh, talked and talked and talked. We just clicked a lot and I think we we got it on and I just think we didn't really have whatever was needed there to develop into something else. But instead we became really good pals and, um, yeah, he's now moved on in a relationship with another wonderful lady and um, seems really happy. So there you go. I love that. Yeah.
0: I think my final story involves one of my side hobbies, which I can't go into too much detail about. Uh, Some of our listeners know, though, because I'm not good at keeping secrets. (laughs) But um, I work on these projects, uh, and each project will sort of last a few months and might have a different group of people involved in it. And at the beginning of each project, uh, we obviously need to – do some speeches and and talk about what's going to happen. We have to address the group of people involved. Um, And so I was asked to stand up at one of these beginning of the project phases and speak to the crowd. So I got up and there's only, oh, I don't know, there was maybe maximum 40 people there. Um, And so I stood up and my husband was with me. He didn't stand up with me, but he had come to the event with me because he's also involved in our hobby. Um, And so I stood up at the front and I started giving my little speech And then I caught sight of somebody in the audience and who looked like this is going to sound so strange. I don't know if he'll listen to this, but it looked, his lips looked like lips I had kissed (laughs) and that I couldn't really remember much, but I was like, oh, I think I've made out with that guy. I can remember making out with that guy. Um, And this whole time I'm delivering this, this speech essentially. And I keep looking and going, have I made out with him? Have I fucked him? was he a client? Is that what this is? And you know, our little hobby, it's quite small. It's quite, it'd be quite unusual for for that someone I happen to know to pop up, like a client to pop up in that environment. The whole time I was just going, fuck, I don't know. I think so. I I think, and so I sat back down and again, (laughs) leaned over to my husband and went, I think I fucked that guy over there, which I'm now realizing is something that I (laughs) do with, semi-regularity lean over to my husband and say I think I fucked him um Mr. Love is just like he's on board he's he's like, like oh, yeah, probably again. no worries <laughs> yeah standard yeah <laughs> um and I just oh I felt so uncomfortable and at that point that was sort of before the project had begun and not everyone who's at that meeting will actually be a part of the project so I wasn't really sure I put it out of my mind and didn't think about it again until the first day of the project where I rocked up and he was there. And I was like, oh no, he, yep, nope. this is, he is definitely a client. Uh, And I remembered a bit more about him and remembered that he was married, uh, which is not entirely uncommon, of course, with our clients, but, but did note that in my mind. And then we worked together for three months. I was in a sort of position of authority over him. It was never mentioned. We, we didn't, I wouldn't say we avoided each other. We had to have a couple of conversations that came up as a part of what we were doing, but we, it was just not, thing that was discussed or anything. And every now and then my husband and I would go, oh, do you think what? We'd have a little weird chat about it and be like, anyway, all good. And then a few months, uh, maybe it was more than a few months, but at least a few months after the project had ended, I got a booking request from him and he was like, hi, Jenna, I don't know if this is weird. I have seen you before. I don't know if you remember or what, you know, whatever. And I responded and I was like, Oh my God. Yeah, I know. And yes, I'd love to (laughs) see you again. Cool. Like let's do it. So we had a booking together and then I spilled everything. I was like, I'm so sorry, I didn't I didn't want to talk to you because I know that you're married, so I didn't want to make that uncomfortable for you. And a lot of people around are friends and know each other. It's a very small community. And and he was like, no, it's fine. I didn't know if your husband knew or if you, like, I don't know. And, uh, and it was just, it was great. And then we had a really lovely booking and we made out. And I was like, oh, yeah, those lips are really good to kiss.
1: <laughs> That's a really nice And I don't like think I've ending. seen him again. I like that. Oh, but they never saw him again, right. Well, at least you got, don't think so. at least you got that resolution. Yeah. I really like that, you know, because for me, I feel like I've had experiences like that with clients where we just go, ooh, ooh, and then we just don't see each other again. Um, so it's really nice that you got that sort of closure like, oh, like that was awkward but we're still cool and that's nice. Yeah. yeah.
0: Cool. Yeah. And I thought we both really respected each other and just went, okay, we're just going to do what we're here to do. Cute. And then after, well after it was done, he was like, so can we do that other thing? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, heck yes.
1: <laughs> okay. All
0: right, this next one I'm very excited for.
1: Yeah, I'm, uh, I know you're excited about this story. This is one of my more embarrassing stories, although I have a lot of embarrassing stories because I'm an embarrassing person. <laughs> uh, so I had a client a few years ago, turn up. We did the screening process. Everything was fine. He seemed really nice. He turned up and I opened the door and I let him in and he sort of walked to the sort of door to go down the hallway. And I stopped and I felt my heart sink. And I realized, oh my God, this is a guy I went to school with. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. i like, I covered my face. And I was like, I, I just realized I know you. Can you please leave? Just please leave. Please leave. And he was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. He's like, okay, okay. So <laughs> He rushed out the door. He left. I know. He got in his car and he left. And then we like started texting and he's like, I don't think. And I was like, well, you know, and asked a few questions. And like, he grew up like in another state. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, I don't know you. I was like, I'm so sorry. I feel like such an idiot. And I was like, do you like, want to come back and like and he was like yes (laughs) like yes and I was like okay 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 come back turn around I'm so sorry and so he turned around he came back and pulled in the driveway and he came up and I was like I am so so, like I'm so embarrassed what a dickhead and anyway we had the booking and he was amazing like we had a great time I think we really connected like as people and we texted a little bit still after that and I think we just sort of missed each other for bookings I haven't heard from him in some time but I, I hope that eventually he gets in touch and has another booking because he was really cool but um yeah i nearly like ruined that from like the minute i met him which is really sad
0: (laughs) but um yeah i mean that easily could have gone the other way something like that like so many clients are so nervous and so on edge particularly with someone they haven't seen before so he so could have easily been like no that was fucking weird i'm out of there yeah yeah. And you could have been mortified and just like, no, I'm too freaked out. I'm too kind of panicked now to to put myself in that situation. Yeah. So I'm really glad it, it did work out well. And obviously you were the two of you were compatible because you did. were able to sort of laugh at it yeah. and go forward. We
1: had a blast. He actually I still remember like every time his numb like his name comes up on my phone, I smile like I'm like, I love this guy. Like and we now we have that bonding like experience of that awkwardness. It like just made it yeah. even cooler. Like we were like, Yeah, we're
0: besties now. Who misses free and affordable ads and social networks without the anti-sex rhetoric?
1: Assembly 4 is a team of
0: sex workers and technologists
1: working from Melbourne, Australia, aiming to bring back free and fair advertising and social
0: spaces to the sex working community. They also actually give back to organisations based in harm reduction, sex work and education.
1: Stepping away from the clunky design of traditional platforms, their two products, Trist.link and Switter.at, are refreshing and well-needed changes in both presentation and mission.
0: Both are free to join and open to all. In the words of an Assembly 4 user, from the policies to the language to the advice and tips, it makes such a big difference to feel encouraged and supported instead of policed.
1: Check out their website, assembly4.com, for the word, not the number, for more info. This week, our misconception is that sex work is legal in Australia. There is so much information that we can provide on this and detail that we can go into. This week, we're going to give you a little bit of insight into just the basics.
0: So sex work in Australia is primarily governed at a state and territory level. So that means that the laws vary greatly across the country. We do have a whole episode on this subject that's in the works, but as Holly said, we're going to give you a little overview. If you do want more information on the laws, you can always get in contact with your local peer organisation. We always have their links linked in the show notes for the for our episodes. Now, in terms of online sex work, oof, the laws are, in my opinion, pretty obsolete. The legislation around like porn production and distribution is... I would say, currently working to try and catch up with about the year 2002. From what I know, as a result of that, they tend not to be enforced very heavily. But, you know, with the the recent passing of the online safety bill, that certainly might change.
1: We're not experts by any means on porn laws, so we're hoping in future to have a guest on who can speak a little bit more about those. Because our experience lies mainly with in-person work, we are able to tell you a little bit more about that in particular. In both New South Wales and the Northern Territory, we have decriminalisation models. Because of some of our federal laws, it's difficult to achieve full decrim, including for migrant workers, unless this change is made at a federal level. But sex work is essentially decriminalised in those two places. New South Wales has had it since 1995, but the Northern Territory only achieved it two years ago in 2019, which was a huge win for sex workers globally, um, because it became only the third jurisdiction in the world to do so.
0: So there's a lot of confusion around these terms. Uh, And again, we're just trying to do this briefly today. Decriminalisation means the removal of all sex industry specific laws, thus just treating our job like any other. It doesn't mean that laws don't apply to us, as a lot of people I come across on Reddit seem to think. Obviously, it doesn't just mean that we're completely above the law. We (laughs) are lawless. Wild west of sex. Uh, we still have to obey the same laws as any other business we still have to adhere to safe work guidelines report to the tax office etc there's a lot of confusion around the difference between decrim and, and legalization and when people hear that sex work is legal they often go oh well that's great it's all sorted right but the thing is legalization means that there is a specific set of laws just for the sex work businesses and those laws don't apply to other businesses and what happens when you put harsher restrictions on a marginalised population is that you create a divide between those who are able to meet the requirements and those who are not, and often the majority fit into the category of those who are not. So if you look at legalisation that way, you can actually kind of consider it partial criminalization, because it essentially ensures that some sex workers, or even a majority of sex workers, particularly those who face the most adversity, will be criminals.
1: So the states and territories in Australia with a legalisation model are ACT, Queensland, Western Australia, Tasmania and Victoria, although we are so hopeful that Victoria will achieve decrim sooner rather than later. We can't go into every single one of the problems with Australian sex work laws, let alone the laws of other countries. Um, But we thought we'd just do a whip around the country and point out some of the most interesting features of that legislation because we found that unless you're a sex worker or you're a very engaged client, most people don't have any idea about these laws. Where I live in the ACT, according to the law, sex workers have to use barrier protection for everything, including oral, and two workers can't be in the same booking together, so no threesomes are allowed in Canberra. Um, Well, not if there's payment involved anyway or unless you're in Parliament House, I guess.
0: Yeah, and it's amusing because ACT is only a small place. So if you just go however many kilometres outside of it, you enter into decriminalisation, yes, absolutely, and then those laws don't apply anymore. That's it.
1: You can go to Queen and do totally different things than you can in the ACT. Um, but the ACT is also well known for being not particularly heavily enforced. You know, so so that's really good as well for workers here that they're not often treated well. In my experience, um, a lot of workers are not you know sort of taken down for those sorts of things. Um, but obviously, you will read in the newspaper. You know, sometimes they they do raids on um, particularly brothels that are struggling workers and survival workers, which is is really sad. So the other thing that's strange is that during COVID, um, other close contact services were allowed to go back to work, things where you're having very close contact with another individual, but brothels weren't allowed. Um, So the sex work community and particularly the peer orgs had to do a lot of lobbying to get that changed.
0: Yeah, so uh, like massage therapists, beauty therapists, tattoo parlors were all allowed to open, but brothels weren't. And that's, you know, that's one of the big issues with legalization is that they can set different industry specific rules that are kind of based more on stigma than anything else. Similar things happened in Queensland and in Victoria as well. Yeah. Yeah. I have worked in every state and territory of Australia. And as a touring worker, you have to be across how the laws change when you cross state lines and all of your marketing has to be in line with that as well, which can be an absolute headache to say the very least. So some of the uh, more interesting laws in Victoria, in-calls are illegal. So an in-call is when the client comes to the provider. So that means it is only legal for the provider to go to the client, whether it be their house or their hotel room or something like that. And that's a pretty weird law. Everybody has to be registered. All sex workers have to be registered with the government, which means the government has a legal record of your legal name, which says that you are a sex worker. And for obvious reasons, that can be problematic. Advertising what services you offer is illegal. Street-based work is illegal and very uh, heavily policed. And the thing that I find hilarious, uh, which isn't the case anymore, but prior to 2016, you could only advertise using a photo of your head and shoulders. Wow. Which, given what we spoke about a bit earlier, about a lot of sex workers not showing their face in their advertising, it's like, here's my clavicle. Yeah,
1: I did not know this at (laughs) all. Wow. Yeah.
0: Yeah, very, very absurd. And thankfully that that has now been changed. But, uh, yeah. And then Western Australia, I think things, you know, from my perspective aren't aren't too bad there. Again, I'm a white independent worker, so none of it's too bad from my perspective. But, uh, you know, mainly brothels and street-based work is criminalised in Western Australia, but uh, private workers are are pretty okay.
1: Uh, In Tasmania, it's similar to Western Australia that brothels and street-based work are illegal, but private work is allowed. In Queensland, working in pairs is illegal. So if you have an admin assistant, receptionist, driver, or even just check in with a friend, um, that's illegal. Women who meet a stranger from a dating app can text a friend to send their address to say that they're safe on their date, but sex workers legally can't. Sharing the cost of accommodation or rent with another worker is even illegal, even if you're not even in the same premises. Providing any service without barrier protection is illegal. This also includes cunnilingus. Entrapment is legal in Queensland. So police officers can and do pose as clients and precious sex workers to provide services that are illegal just so they can arrest them.
0: Which is disgusting.
1: It's foul.
0: And then we come to South Australia Home to the city of churches. So no prizes for guessing which state has the worst laws in the country for sex workers. South Australia is a really tricky one because in my opinion, I feel like it pretends that it's legal because like the act of trading sex for money is not illegal, but pretty much every way that you can go about doing that is. (laughs) So brothels are illegal. And that might make you go, okay, well, working on your own would be fine then. But the definition of what constitutes a brothel is very broad in the legislation and it is very open to interpretation. So is sex work legal in Australia? Sort of, sometimes, for some people. For our Shit People Say segment, I, uh, I have a little a client inquiry and I feel... But I shouldn't say a client inquiry because this person is not a client. They are somebody who failed to become a client. And I think often sex workers get a lot of shit put on them because there's this perception that we we will laugh at our clients or uh, you know, publicly sort of deride them. But uh, nine times out of ten, they're not clients. They're people yeah. who contact us to waste our time, to make us feel crap, to put us down, et cetera. So I think that's an important distinction to make. Okay, so I'm reading from my phone here. Two weeks ago I received a text message, hey, babe, you on tonight? And I responded, on what? Uh, because obviously I knew what he meant, but I was not here for somebody calling me babe.
1: And we want manners too. Like,
0: we want manners, everything. Yeah. Everywhere you can find my number, it explains exactly how to contact me. So there's not really an excuse. Um And so I said, on what? He said, who is this? Uh, And I responded, you contacted me. Notably, when I responded back, so I have an iPhone uh, and my original message to him was blue, which means it was sent by iMessage. And my next message when I said you contacted me was green, which means that he's either turned iMessaging off on his phone or more likely he's blocked me. So, okay, cool. I was like, whatever. That's not a very unusual interaction for us to have. Then last week, so a week after that, I got hi Jenna. I saw your profile on advertising site, and then another message: Hey babe, you on tonight? And I said on what? Because I still <laughs> hadn't gotten answers to that question. He said sorry, I didn't send the message. I lodge kicks in advance. I, <laughs> so I think sorry, I didn't send the message. I apologize in advance. Uh, which is, I don't know how he's apologizing in advance for something that happened in the past, but anyway, that's okay. I said, oh, who sent it? He said, not me. My phone has been hacked, I think. I've had heaps of random texts tonight. I'm so sorry. I said, oh, was it hacked last weekend too? And he said, I don't know. I've been getting random messages for weeks. I'm going to change numbers. I apologize. I'm very sorry. I said, what would be the purpose of someone using your phone number to contact people? And that was the last message I sent to him. It was green. So presumably he had unblocked me to have that conversation and then blocked me again once he realised the jig was up. So then just the other day, so this is two weeks after the initial one, I got, hey, babe, you working tonight? I said, "Oh, hey, babe, think your phone must have been hacked again. He (laughs) said, oh, probably. What the fuck? I don't send these messages. I said, gosh, such a drama for you, you poor thing. He said, who are these going to, but? And I said, who do you think? He said, I don't know, babes. I said, maybe Google the number. And then he said, do you do foot fetishes or something? That's what people keep messaging me about. Actually, he wrote, people keep messing if me up could. But anyway, people keep messaging me about. And I was like, mate, you know you don't have to be embarrassed about having a foot fetish, right? I'm literally a hooker. You have texted a hooker. Why are you pretending that you didn't? That's my job. You found my number on a website which I pay for to advertise my services. It's good that you are contacting me. It means that my funds are being used correctly. He's, so I said, oh, you know, you don't have to be embarrassed. I'm literally a hooker. He said, oh, yeah, well, I do like it, babe. Do you do it, babes? And I said, not for free. He said, that's fine. How much? And I said, all the info is on my website. He said, are you keen tonight? I said, all the info is on my website. He said, how about just foot fetishes? I don't want sex, babes. I said, all the info is on my website. He said, there's not a price just for that, babes. I said, all the info is on my website. He said, no, not for that, babes. It's okay. Thank you anyways. I sent a screenshot of my website and said, it's literally the first sentence on the rates page. And he said, sorry, babe, I didn't see that page. I said, so when you went looking for my rates, you didn't see the page called rates. So he said, so 30 minutes is 350, yeah? And I thumbs up. He said, where are you at? I said, all the info is on my website. And that was the end of our conversation. But I assume next weekend we'll have another one.
1: Someone will hack his phone again, undoubtedly.
0: Yeah. It's just uh, the, the luck on this guy. Poor thing. I know.
1: They're hacking his phone to ask about his specific kink. Like, what are the odds, you
0: know? It's kind of a blessing, really, isn't it? It
1: is. I wish people would hack my phone for my specific yeah. interests. Yeah. You know? yeah. They're doing
0: the groundwork for him.
1: <laughs> Question of the week. We asked on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for you to send in your questions. We got two questions that were very similar, so we've decided to go with them for this week. And in our bonus episode for our $10-plus patrons this month, we will be answering a whole bunch more. So the question this week is, hair down there, both clients' and sex workers' preferences. There seems to be a trend towards being completely shaven. Is there a misconception around that? And will pubic hair ever make a comeback? Uh, Okay, so... For me, I generally don't really care if my clients have pubic hair. Um, Look, to be really frank, if I'm going to be like running my tongue around everything down there, it probably helps if it's trimmed at least because otherwise, otherwise it ends up getting in the back of my throat and I'm like a cat coughing up a hairball and I'm like, it's really not sexy, like unless that's your kink, that's fine. But yeah, generally... I don't really care if you've got hair unless you want me to lick that specific area. For me, I shave the whole lot just because that's what seems to be expected, Um, which is a shame because I don't think there's anything wrong with pubic hair. And I know a lot, quite a few of my clients do love it and they've asked if I can grow it out. And I've said, well, it just makes it more difficult for the other clients who don't like it. And I feel like also this is my own feeling but I feel like I can keep things a bit fresher down there if I have it shaved that's just my own ability to, to wash myself but yeah to me it's not a big deal I think it will make a comeback I think pubic hair is gonna I think it's already like people are getting into the this landing strip and that's trendy I think mullets came back into fashion so who's to say the bush isn't going to be the next big trend
0: If a mullet can come back into fashion, anything can come back into fashion. Yeah. I feel like I have a bit of a unique perspective on this. Oh, I'm so unique and interesting. (laughs) But I think I only realized recently that other people don't have this experience because not everyone is a redhead. And when you are a redhead, I think in particular a female redhead, but the case may apply to other people as well, you get sexualized. From such a young age. And people will be talking about your pubic hair before you even have pubic hair or wow. know what pubic hair is. So I have a distinct memory of when I was in kindergarten, so uh about five, of somebody saying to me, Oh, duh. oh, I never know the phrase, does the carpet match the drapes? Which I only figured out what that. meant. I mean, I knew what it meant for a long time, but only recently figured out the drapes, are curtains, and that's. I didn't really get it. Anyway, someone said to me a phrase I've heard a million times in my life: "Do the does the carpet match the drapes?" And at the time, as a five year old, obviously, I don't even know what I said, uh, and obviously, I had no fucking carpet at that point. It's very common in your young life to be referred to as feisty. Um, and as you get a bit older to be told that you are like inherently sexual, uh, and that redheads are really like aggressive in bed and and all these sorts of stuff. And you just get filled with all this information. And of course, every like sexual character you see on TV is a redhead and it's just kind of intrinsically linked. And now obviously I capitalize on that and I use my red hair a lot in my marketing because now I'm a hooker. I'm like, well, cool. I can be sexual and let's make money off it. But my pubic hair has always been the subject of other people's discourse and it has always made me incredibly uncomfortable. Mm. And so I've always had this pressure to have pubes, um, which I think is the opposite of what a lot of women and maybe a lot of people experience, particularly when I first started in the sex industry. I get inquiries all the time that are like, well, do you have a fire crotch or talking about my pubes? And the other thing is, my pubes in particular, they're I don't know if they're red, they're kind of like they're fair, but they're not it's not a fire crotch. They're they're red, but they're not like super fiery. The strawberry blonde. And yeah, I guess so. And there's all this stuff about like you're not a real redhead if you don't have that. I get text messages from random people saying, Are you a real redhead? And what they're asking is, are my pubes red? And the thing is, they're kind of not. They're a bit, I guess, I don't know. Um, So I have literally shaved my pubic hair my entire life. Not my entire life, sorry, since I started getting pubes, since the very, very beginning. And it wasn't until last year that I went, you know what? I maybe want to have pubes for my own reasons. um, And I'm comfortable with that. So I actually shaved for a very long time because I hated men asking about my pubes whereas I think a lot of people will grow a bush because they're sick of men saying oh you should shave yeah. I was sick of men saying you shouldn't shave and so I used to get rid of it all the time rebelled yeah yeah that was my my way of rebelling yeah. was full brazilian which probably sounds ridiculous <laughs> and there are some feminists that would absolutely hate me for saying that but <laughs> my pubes have always been so sexualized since before i had pubes and it's a really it's a really big deal for me so it was it was a huge thing for me to start growing my pubes and now sometimes i trim them every now and then i might trim them like really really short sometimes i grow them a bit i like to shave the undercarriage because i just cannot handle having hair down there it i just i think because i never have i just can't handle it but now i feel like i'm reclaiming it and i'm like fuck you you can like that i have the pubes that's fine but i have them (laughs) go you so on that note i've never not had demand for having pubes and i definitely i don't even know if it will make a comeback i think there already is a a big push for uh some hair at least there's always there's a lot of anti full brazilian rhetoric out there there's a lot of oh you look like a you look prepubescent which i think is fucking absurd (laughs) because if you look at my body with no pubes and think prepubescent then you've got some whack ideas about puberty it's a tough one. Cause I think it's really personal for everyone. Like I, you know, yeah, if I'm getting my tongue in around things, I love a real smooth finish, but I have friends for whom if the, uh, the client has shaved that day or maybe the day before, and there's like a tiny bit of stubble, they've got really sensitive skin and it will really affect their, their face and also their downstairs bits. So for some people smooth is not ideal. For some people, if you've, if you've shaved, there's, there's more risk of nicks and cuts, which means open, open skin, which means higher risk of infection. Some people just love a full bush. Some people would absolutely hate it. Like it's, it's really tough. Everyone has their preference and everyone's welcome to have their preference, but dictating what someone else does is obviously a huge issue. But I think that it's, it's you really need to ask each individual what they like. If you give a shit about their opinion. If not, just do whatever you like. And now we'd like to thank our
1: patrons this week. Our giving somebodies are Miguel Sanchez, Disco Biscuit, JJ and Bridget. Our generous somebodies are Mal, Berenger, George, Miss Bell, Tess Louise from It's So Hard podcast, Mr S Fox and Mecca.
0: Our very generous somebodies are Lachlan, Timmy, Steve, our footstool, Spaceman Dan, Pete, Adele, Alice Gray, Big M, Scott C, Sammy Jane, Bart, Barleyman and Randy Wagner. And our extremely generous somebodies are Aaron, Samuel and Andrew.
1: Thanks so much for joining us this week, guys. We hope you've had fun and learned some interesting things. I look forward to seeing you next time.
0: Please look out for us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon. Our name everywhere is Somebody You Pod, as in podcast. Our Patreon starts at just $3 a month, and you can get all of our episodes ad-free and a day early, plus bonus episodes, behind-the-scenes action, bloopers, and more. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the voices of sex workers. And remember, somebody you love might just be a sex worker.